Steve has been at Caleb Company for, I think you said about six years? Yeah. And uh, I, I know Steve because he was our previous pastor's roommate. And so he would come around every once in a while and walk the halls and, and uh, uh, got to know Steve a little bit that way. But now since we've um, been here, just knowing all of the people's lives that have been dramatically, I'm just looking out, I'm seeing Ben nod his head and I'm going, I know what, what Steve has poured into Ben and so many people whose lives have touched. Honestly, all, a lot of this church's history and my life, a lot of your lives kind of all paths lead back to Don Pinto. We're so grateful for Don. Uh, but his path leads back to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? And that's who we're here to celebrate. So I want to I introduce um, Steve in this way. Um, I, I wrote down a few things. I said Steve is just a giant in the faith. So I would, I would challenge and encourage you to not just listen this morning, but dive in deep to, to connecting with God's heart and becoming more and more awakened to your true identity as a son or daughter of the creator of all that is. Um, I thought it was fitting. I, I thought it was really cool. The first email I ever got from Steve, um, at the end, I saw this big paragraph. I'm like, what is this big paragraph? And it just based uh, on the bottom of his email, and many of you have it that have gone through Caleb Company, it's just his vision statement. And so I want to introduce Steve by sharing his vision. He may do this again, but uh, by, by what God has put on him as a calling, and I know it shifts and changes throughout the seasons, this is, this is what his vision statement is, that every time I get an email from Steve, this is what it says. It says, I'm called to be a father who walks in passion, purity, power, and perseverance in the Lord. I seek to know and love Yeshua with all my heart soul, mind, and strength, and to make him known. As a Caleb, I will climb my mountain, overcome my Goliaths, and receive my full inheritance as a son. I will not die, but will live and tell what the Lord has done. I delight to love and champion my wife, Samantha, and father my children. I am called to be a watchman on the walls of Israel, and in the spirit cry out for their salvation day and night until a mighty river of revival flows through the earth. As a leadership coach, I will help others break through their barriers, overcome their obstacles to take hold of their destinies. I will wholeheartedly seek to make others great as I help empower and propel them in their God-given destinies. My mission is to raise up 10,000 fathers in preparation for the return of the king. Will you please join me in welcoming Steve Allen. That's my notes. <laughs> Good morning. <clears throat> I'm going to start with a story, uh, one of my favorite stories. It's from Jewish tradition, and it occurred in the second century outside of the town of Capernaum in northern Israel. There was a beloved rabbi named uh, Akiva ben Yosef, and about once a month he would go into town to get supplies. And he loved the time because he could meditate on the Torah, the Word of God. So we'd go into town, get the supplies, and then he would walk the, the five to ten miles back, and he would just quote and pray the Scriptures. So this one time, he was, got, went into town, got the supplies. He's walking out. He's going down this road, and he's not really paying attention. He's just so into the Word. And he's praying, and uh, he's not really paying attention. He comes to a fork in the road, and he takes the wrong turn. So he's going down this road. Well, the sun starts to set. It's getting darker and darker, and he realizes he's lost. And then it's pitch dark. And he's just kind of stumbling down the road, 
And then all of, all of a sudden, out of the dark, comes this voice. Who are you? And why are you here? Well, it startled him. He started to think, well, who is this person? And then he remembered that there was a Roman garrison near the, the town of Capernaum. And he thought, ah, this must be one of the guards. Well, being a good rabbi, he didn't answer the question. He asked his own question. How much do they pay you to ask these questions? Long silence. And the guard re- responded, two shekels a day. And the rabbi said, I will pay you four shekels a day if you will stand at my front door and every day ask me these two questions. Who are you? And why are you here? Who are you is identity. Why you are here is destiny. You see, this question is being asked by every single person on the planet. And if they don't know God, there is a lot of confusion. Just look around in our culture. A lot of confusion. People don't know who they are, and they have no clue why they're here. But you, sitting here, you know who you are. You know whose you are, and you know your assignment. You know why you're here. Between identity and destiny is something called vision. It is the bridge that connects those two. Vision is really, really important. Proverbs 29, 18, it says, without vision, my people will what? Will perish. Do you know there are many people all around you that are perishing right now because they have no vision? This morning, I want to talk about perseverance, running the race that is marked out to you, running the race that is marked out for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race that is marked out to you, looking to Yeshua, the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Think about it. Each of us, has a race marked out for us. Let's pretend we're running a race, a 100-meter dash, and there's 10 people lined up. You guys know the drill. The coach says, if you look to your right or left, you're going to lose. You've already lost. You keep your eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on the finish line. You champion the person beside you, but you run your race. Don't covet your brother's race. Don't covet your sister's race. You run your race that is marked out for you to his glory and to his fame. Why is perseverance so important? Without perseverance, we're going to quit. You know, I love the millennials. I was just listening to a sermon by Chris Valentin yesterday talking about the millennials. Brilliant, smart, ingenuity. Man, they're coming up with so many inventions. Technology. Technology today in one year will be obsolete. Because the millennials are creating so much incredible breakthroughs. But one shortcoming of the millennials is as they quit too soon. Chris Falton was saying, if we could harness the tenacity, the perseverance of our, my grandfather's generation with the ingenuity and the creativity of the millennials, 
we would be a force that could be reckoned with. You couldn't stop them. Perseverance is an absolute must in this race that we are running. If you do not persevere, you will not finish. Life is too short to be consumed with the affections of this temporal world, with the trophies and accolades of men. We have to be tenacious with our eyesight, with what we focus on. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus, period. The things that we live for, the stuff, the houses, the cars, they're temporal. The clothes off our back, this body, it's all temporal. Everything's going to burn. If we're living for this life, we are to be pitied of all men. But if we're living for eternity, we will be for the praise and the glory of God. How do we persevere? Number one, we worship. We worship when we don't feel like worshiping. We don't follow our emotions. We follow the truth, the truth giver. His name is truth. We worship him in season, out of season. When it's hard, we worship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 8 through 18. Three exhortations. Number one, rejoice always. Number two, Pray continually. Number three, in some circumstances, give thanks to God the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that, is that what it says? No, 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 no. In most circumstances, give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? In all circumstances. Now let me be straight with you. Do we celebrate death and disease? No. We live in a fallen world. We know the enemy's mission statement, John chapter 10, verse 10, says he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Yeshua said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. You keep your focus on Jesus. You persevere. You run your race. And you give thanks in all, in all circumstances. Next, we cultivate a heart of gratitude. Every morning when I get up and I start my time with the Lord and I'm talking to him, I thank him for the little things. Thank you, God, I have breath in my lungs. Actually, that's not a little thing. (laughs) Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for my wife and children. Thank you for a hot breakfast on the table. Thank you that I can speak. Thank you that I had a good night's sleep last night. Thank you that I have a roof over my head and food on my table and my bills are paid. If we do not thank the Lord, our life will be consumed with lesser things. If we take our eyes off him, we will be consumed with the things of this earth, the things of this world. We cultivate a heart of gratitude through thanksgiving. 
Next, we fill our heart with truth. We don't deny the facts, but there's something greater than facts, and it's the truth. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But here's the deal. It's only the truth you know that can set you free. If you don't know the truth, you have no power. You're anemic. You're powerless. You need to know the word of God. Is your weapon sharp and in use? Or is it rusted in the sheath? Are you asking him to write the word of God on your heart so that in the battle you're not weaponless? The armor of God is all defense except one weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Know the truth because the truth will set you free. Lastly, give your life away. Did you know that your life is not yours? It's not yours. It belongs to our Father. It's a gift from Him. Here's a spoiler alert on the journey of life. We all die. <laughs> Hebrews 9:27. We have one life to live and then the judgment. It's not a heavy, it's not a morbid. Moses has said it this way, Psalms 90, verse 12, teach me, O Lord, to number my days so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Do you want a heart of wisdom? Number your days. This day is numbered. Our bodies came from the dust, and it will return to the dust. There is a divine decree since the inception of time from the garden that is chasing us down. We will return to the dust. We cannot outrun it. But here's the deal. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience, not vice versa. Our spirits will live for eternity. These tents, these bodies are temporal. They will waste away. You can go gluten-free, GMO-free, work out at the gym as much as you want. Praise the Lord. I love it all. Kangen water, come on. But our days are numbered. Do not live for yourself. Live for him. Out of curiosity, how many of you have heard of the Ironman Triathlon? Just raise your hand. I think we have some families in the room. I think the McDowell family actually served as volunteers in Kona, Hawaii uh, for many of the triathlons. I think they started back in the 70s. Out of curiosity, has there, is there anybody in this room that has completed one Ironman? Just raise your hand if you've ever competed. Okay. Awesome. We actually have the distinct privilege this morning of having in our midst an eight-time Ironman finisher. Tony Algers, could you stand? Stay standing. 
I met Tony two months ago for the first time. He spoke in um, Tears' tutorial at Shanaan. And when I heard that he spoke there, I said, man, I've got to meet this guy. So got his number. He came over to my house, and for an hour, I took about six pages of notes. Amazing. Eight years in the military, served with distinction in the Army, Bosnia, Korea. He served our country. He's a great man. One thing I want to say about Tony is um, if he's just sitting there, nobody would have noticed him. He's, he's just like one of us. He's ordinary. But Tony is doing extraordinary things. You can have a seat. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> I want you to take the time after service to meet him, shake his hand, ask stories, get his number, take him out for coffee. This is an extraordinary man. But he, listen to this. The word extraordinary, break it down. Extraordinary. All of you are extraordinary. Why? Because he puts his extra on our ordinary. He puts his super on our natural. We're just flesh and blood. But when the spirit of the living God, the Ruach of God enters us, we become extraordinary. I've always wanted to run an Ironman, 26 miles, but uh, my knees always gave out. I, I was part of a jogging club on the mission field in Bangkok, Thailand for about 10 years. Met a lot of my Thai neighbors that way. We'd run 10Ks all around uh, Bangkok. Got my sons, Michael and Kanan, involved in running. They ran track at, at uh, Franklin High School because of that. We did our own mini Ironman in our neighborhood. I think we'd, uh, we reversed it so we... We did the bike first. We biked a mile, and then we uh, ran, think a, a 5K, and then we met at the neighborhood swimming pool, and we swam 20 laps. I think it took an hour. So if you don't know anything about the Ironman, it's three grueling events, back-to-back, starting at 7 a.m. You have to finish by midnight. It starts with a 2.4-mile swim in the ocean. You get out of the ocean, change clothes, and then you bike for 112 miles. You get off your bike, change clothes, and you run a marathon. Wow. Amazing. And Tony has done it eight times. He's going to do it again four more times before the end of this year. You know why he's doing that? so he can enter into the Legacy Club. The Legacy Club are Ironmen that have done 12 Ironmans and completed them and finished them. His goal, he wants to go to the Mount Everest of Ironmans, which is in Kona, Hawaii. The only way that you can get there is either you, you, you win your race, your heat, or you get into the Legacy Club. And so that's his goal, and he's going to achieve it. I was talking to Tony I said, what did you learn about running the Ironmans? He said, well, actually, I learned the most in my first Ironman competition. He said, I almost didn't make it. You know, I was new, and there's so much in the middle aspect of this. He said, when I started biking, I developed leg cramps, and they never went away the rest of the race. Huge leg cramps. And uh, he's just trying to, you know, to get just to fight through. He finishes the bike race. He starts running. You know, at times, he's just limping. 
He gets down to the six mile mark before the finish line. He's ready to quit. He hits a wall of exhaustion. He's ready to throw in the towel. His wife's cousin, Heather, meets him at that point, and she prays with him, and she says, don't quit. I'm going to run with you, and they complete the race together. Are you with me? Do you see the parallel? This race is not meant to be run alone. You are all spiritual iron men and iron women, all of you. You were designed for community. You were designed for family. If you are running alone, it's not going to work. You will fail. Psalms 133, verse 4. The father talking about two brothers, Moses and Aaron. He says, when brothers dwell together in unity, there I command my blessing. There is a blessing when we walk together. We don't compete with each other. We defer to each other. We lay down our lives for each other. We serve each other. We champion our brother and our sister. There the Lord commands his blessing. There is unity in the word community. There is power in this. In July of 2014, I was leading one of our Caleb teams into Israel. We had spent four or five weeks in Thompson Station studying the word, praying, discipling, getting prepared to go into the land. There was a lot of political tension in Israel, as there always is. The second day after arriving in Jerusalem, the Gaza war broke out. All the tourists left. We were there for the next four weeks. During those four weeks, we experienced three air raids and a car fire set on, set on fire by a, a Jewish zealot near our apartment. I think it burned about four cars down. Needless to say, it was pretty intense. And I remember during that month, all our team, our students, they're on iPhones, FaceTime, text, real time, all the time with their folks who are watching CNN back in the States. I felt this sense of responsibility for the safety of our team. We're talking every day to leaders, Mike Niebuhr, who has his pulse on the security of Jerusalem. Okay, today, don't go there. Don't go up on the Temple Mount. Go here. Every day, we're checking in for security. About halfway through that month, we're walking in Jerusalem. There's lots of hills. For all of you that have been there, you know that you walk your shoes off. And my left foot started getting heavy, and I was like, what is going on? This is weird. Well, fast forward to the end of the month. We're trying to get out of Jerusalem, and Belgium Air cancels our flights. Blaine Kimball, one of our co-leaders, is on the phone for three hours, and our team of 20s broke it up into six different teams. We're flying out all over the world on six different airlines just to get out of the country. I find myself with a small team flying into Toronto. We're trying to make our next flight, the connection, running down the concourse, moving sidewalk. I get to the end of that, bam, I go down flat on my face, bloody my knee. I couldn't get my leg up. 
I knew something was going on. Get back to the States. I start doing chiropractic work, muscle therapy for six months. Nothing's happening. I start researching on the web, and I realize this doesn't look good. August of 2015, I'm at Vanderbilt, going through neurological testing. After 10 days of testing, Dr. Chris Lee walks in. He said, I'm sorry, I've got some bad news. It's ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. You've got three to five years. What do you do? On the road to your destiny, and the plans change. Is he still who he says he is? Does his nature change? No. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He does not change. His ways change every day. That's why we have to have faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. It is a non-negotiable. You do not pass go without faith. But his nature never changes. He is the essence of love. He is faithful every day. Raise your hand if you ever remember the Etch-A-Sketch. It was kind of the precursor to the iPad. So life is like, kind of like the Etch-A-Sketch. We, we spend years building this picture of our, our lives. The white picket fence, the two-car garage, 3.2 kids. Can you do that? <laughs> and it's called the American dream. I might step on some toes, but the American dream is not the kingdom of God. And God comes along and he takes my Etch-A-Sketch and he goes, hey, we've got a different plan. And he shakes my Etch-A-Sketch. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I spent years perfecting that picture. It looked really, really good. No, we're not doing that. I've got a better plan. It's called the kingdom of God. What? Yeah, so much better. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my love for you will never, ever be shaken. And my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. In this race of life, in this journey that we're on, there will be mountains that will be shaken. Your faith will be tested. The enemy will come in like a flood. But at that point, he will show himself faithful. He is Emmanuel. He is Father. He is our front and rear God. He will not quit. He is tenacious in his love. His love is immutable, unstoppable. You could not stop the love of God. And I stand here today at the edge of eternity. The veil is thin. And I want to say something to you. What is the greater tragedy if I die today at the age of 52 or I live for the next 40 years for myself, focused on my own dreams? That would be the greater tragedy. Teach me, O Lord, to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom.
What giants are you facing today? Financial? Marital? Familial? Prodigal sons and daughters in your family? Health? You are not alone. He is with you. He is faithful. He will never, ever leave you. Revelations 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You are not of those who shrink back, but you are those who believe and are saved. I want to end with a story of the most famous lighthouse on the planet. Hunter, would you put up the slide? This is La Jemou. It's off the coast of France. It translates to the mare or the horse. It's uh, about half a mile off the coast, built in the ocean, in the Eros Sea. In the winter, it's some of the most fierce storms is our experience there. December 21st, 1989, a French photographer by the name of Jean Guichard decides to pilot a helicopter to go out and photograph these lighthouses all up and down the coast. The lighthouses were being automated, so the traditional lightkeeper that had been there for hundreds of years now were being replaced by technology and computers. So he had spent three years photographing these lighthouses, but he knew of the spectacular storms that would rise up off the coast. So at a great expense and great peril, he, he got the... Uh, helicopter pilot to fly over La Jemou. These waves are 30 meters, almost 100 feet. The story was later told by the lighthouse keeper that that day the, the storm was so fierce and the water, the waves so high that it broke through the lower windows of the lighthouse smashing furniture, washing it around the bottom floor, ripping into the door. Jean Guichard started taking pictures with his camera. The lighthouse keeper heard the noise of the helicopter, and against his better judgment, he opens the door and steps out into the frame, the doorway of the door, and at that instance, Jean Guichard takes this famous picture it's been reproduced a million times now. The most famous lighthouse on the planet. Now, looking at this picture, you're just thinking, no way. There's, there's no way this guy survived. Because you see the wave wrapping itself around the lighthouse, about to engulf him. If you come up after the service, you can see to my right, this is the, the same photo that hangs above my desk in my home office. My sons gave it to me two years ago. If you look at the railing at the bottom of the lighthouse, you'll see something. The metal 
frame of that railing is twisted, and it shows the velocity, the power of the waves. All of us will experience storms in life. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous shall run into it, and they, they are saved. Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20. For we have this hope as an anchor in the storm, and his name is Jesus. And he goes in before us into the inner sanctuary, and he makes a way. As I close this morning, I want to encourage you with these thoughts. Worship team, you can come up. On this road of life, in this journey that you are on, there will be storms. You will experience the storms of life. Now, here's the deal. You know people have walked away from the Lord because of the storms, because of bitterness, of anger, of unbelief. They've picked up that 100-pound barbell of bitterness, and they're still carrying it. I want to encourage you to run your race, but not run it alone. Do not give up. Do not compromise. Do not sin out. Do not burn out. Do not cop out. Run the race marked out for you, Brett Henry. Run your race for his name, for his glory, for his purposes. He's returning. He's coming back, and he is worthy. Let's let's stand. He is worthy of a life run well for for his glory. Just take the hand of the person beside you. Let's pray together. Father, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. You aren't worthy. You are worthy of a life run well. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are worthy. Father, thank you that you've called us to run this race with abandoned, with our all. Like Eric Little and Chariots of Fire with our head thrown back. Father, would you imbibe us? Would you fill us? Would you overshadow us with your spirit? Would you fill us with your presence? That we would live our lives not for ourselves, but for you. And that we would champion our brothers and our sisters and our families and our wives and our husbands. We would champion them. For you are worthy. You are worthy, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your love constant goodness and your faithfulness to us. We pray all of this
in the mighty name of Yeshua, the Son of the living God.